This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Let's take a second to thank today's sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is by far the absolute easiest way to make a podcast. And when I say easy, I mean easy. First of all, it's completely free and there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit right from your phone or your computer. Best of all, with Anchor, you can add any songs from Spotify directly to your episodes. So the possibilities are endless on what you can create. Whether you want to create a music analysis, your own radio show, a deep dive on your favorite genre or artist, or something that the world's never heard before. Anchor will even help publish your show to Spotify so you can reach hundreds of millions of listeners. Oh, did I mention there's no copyright on the songs? Yeah, it's that easy. You guys want to start a podcast that includes music, or you guys just want to start a podcast in general, get started by downloading the free Anchor app or going to anchor.fm. And if you need some inspiration, you can head over to blog.anchor.fm slash music from some more idea starters. Thank you so much, and let's get into the episode. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. Today it is really early in the morning and I'm recording this intro. I'm so tired so if you guys can hear my voice being a little deeper, sounding a little, you know, like you just got out of bed, it's because I really just woke up a few minutes ago and sat right here in my seat and recorded this intro for you. Um, I love recording intros because usually um, it's like after I record the episode, so you know there's some things to catch up on, I can reflect on the episode, and I just wanted to say that I'm very very excited for this one. So this one is with Hani and if you guys don't know she works with me at We Bloom Social. She was the first hire that I made and she's not full-time, she's part-time. Um but she has a lot going on. She I I personally like working with people that are very ambitious, that are very entrepreneurial, um and she is the definition of those two things. So she has her own company, Anise Collections, and she also has a background in finance. So we talk all about her um indian bridal wear collection she makes custom indian bridal wear which is so cool and it's such a new world for me i I didn't know much about it and i wanted to talk all about the technicalities how she got started how she went from being a finance major and working in investment banking to starting her own fashion company so we talk all about that and honestly i feel like it's helpful to a lot of people that feel stuck that feel like where they are now is not where they need to be um and people who feel like what they're doing isn't something that they love because she has related to that and i think it's important to kind of show that like it's okay you don't have to be where you need to be right away there are so many paths to get to where you need to be um so we talk all about that and i just think it's a really inspiring episode and i also wanted to say uh thank you so much for all the reviews because last episode i said we're almost at 800 and now you guys we're at 804 804 reviews i cannot believe that so please if you enjoy this episode or if you enjoy any episodes be sure to leave them five stars on itunes uh, or on the podcast i should say pod the apple podcast app i always say itunes it's not itunes anymore i feel like itunes is itunes even a thing is it just apple music now i i don't know i can't keep up with all the apple products but apple podcast is where you review it so this one comes from tanya 
and she says absolutely love the real real and natalie converses with her guests in such a fun and engaging way that makes me hooked in each and every episode this podcast is an awesome way to get the inside scoop on professions and get inspired from so many entrepreneurs i always look forward to a brand new episode every monday keep it up natalie so i just want to say thank you so much for that review it was so kind and i love that you guys like the way that i converse with my guests because it's always something that i definitely want to you know get better at is my interview skills so any tips any any guest recommendations my dms and the real real dms are always open so be sure to follow us on i or i was gonna say on itunes follow us on instagram and then also review on podcasts on apple Podcasts if you guys liked it Anyways, I just wanted to start talking about Hani and getting her the inside scoop on Anise Collections. So we're just going to jump right into the episode. And I promise I will wake up as the day goes on. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Airs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today, as it should, with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. 
Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hey, Hani, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Hey, Natalie, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on because I feel like it's a long time coming. I feel like I can't believe I haven't had you on, even though we've known each other for almost a year now. Um, And your story is just so cool. And I feel like it's really going to inspire and also help other people that probably are feeling in a very similar boat to what you had felt in the past and just kind of how you started your company and like all of that stuff. And like, you're literally like so good at networking. So I want to dive into all of that. So before we get started, I wanted to start with setting the record straight. So you guys know this is where we say an assumption or a stereotype. And then, uh, Hani, you're going to tell me if it's true or false. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right. So the first one is you need to be a fashion designer to start your own line. Well, so before I started, I actually thought this was true, but this is 100% false. Um, I came from a background in finance and I designed dresses, so you can truly start anywhere and do anything as long as you sort of are able to research and figure it out um and you should just have that drive yeah i feel like it's it's a misconception when people think i mean this is with anything fashion aside it's like people think that you have to be something so specific in order to go into a certain field and i just i mean we've seen so many guests on this podcast that that's the complete opposite you know like you don't have to go to school for something necessarily or like be an expert in something to get your foot in the door in that field and i feel like you're such a good example at that from going from finance to literally like a wedding dress designer (laughs) so you really don't have to be like any you know like have a degree or whatever in that field so then the next one is you need to go to fashion school to get into the fashion industry and i'm assuming your answer is false (laughs) Yeah, I think that's false. I think, though, when you do go to fashion school, um, it's like a dual-edged sword in a way because you get some benefits of having the education and the training, but then um, you also come out with some contacts versus like when you start out not being in the fashion industry, um, you lose out on those two things. But then people coming out of fashion school also are competing with every single other person that went to school with them. So you like sort of have more pressure to do something different than somebody else did versus, you know, me coming out of finance, like nobody else was designing wedding dresses. It was just like me. That's no, that's actually really true. I feel like there is a lot more competition and sometimes, and I don't know if this is true, but I do feel like sometimes you can pigeonhole yourself where it's like, you're so specific in one thing that it's can be a disadvantage sometimes if you're if you don't have knowledge in something else you know like I'm sure your finance background has helped you in your business just in general like wedding dress aside I feel like like designing aside it's been probably helpful so I do think that you shouldn't be like scared to go into something else just because you think that it's not going to help you because I think being well-rounded definitely is an advantage in itself 
Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, and the next one is there's a lot of competition in the bridal wear scene. Um, So I'm not quite – obviously, I do Indian dresses, so it's a little bit different. Um, and doing Indian dresses in the U.S., there is a smaller market you're catering to as a niche. So I would say I thought there was, and I think my competitors tend to think that, like, everybody's competition – but as the younger generation gets into this business, I think we all sort of have an understanding that we're all doing something totally different from the other. And it's sort of a two, two-way street because the custom process of creating someone's wedding dress is like, like that's a huge undertaking. You're literally a part of their biggest day in their lives. So it's really important that you and the client sort of mesh well together. It really doesn't do any good for anyone if you're just taking the order for the money and because you're spending like three months to nine months creating this dress talking to the client every day if you guys don't like each other and you guys don't fit well then there's no point so in general with the younger generation it's kind of like we all will recommend clients to each other even if we're competitors because we're all just trying to find the best fit that's actually really nice, and I feel like it's kind of the same with like the YouTube industry, which I know it's totally different because we're not necessarily selling a product, but people yeah. think like, oh, this industry, everyone is so cutthroat, people don't like each other, it's so competitive, and like I actually think it's not. Like I feel like we're all super supportive, um, even with like the agency stuff, for example. Um, I know I've recommended my friend or I've recommended potential clients to my friend who's like social media manager because I'm like, oh, maybe she's a good fit for that, even though that might be taking away a client from me if I didn't necessarily think I could do the best work or I'm not what they needed or maybe we just don't like mesh well together, then my friend might be able to take her on, you know, so I think that it is pretty cool how we do have that um like people are more supportive now and that's nice to hear in the wedding industry because I don't know I just think of weddings and I think of like bridezilla where everything is so like cutthroat and like stressful and like all that stuff so I think that's cool to see that it's you guys still recommend each other and also I'm assuming that there's like making a dress designing a dress which I want to talk more about in the podcast but it probably takes a long time like you can't have so many clients like there's only so many clients that you can take on at once yeah so i feel like it's kind of good to have that um reputation where you are recommending people and like if they like your recommendation then they'll come back to you for other things you know it just makes you more trustworthy i think also and like more authentic to your clients Yeah, yeah and half the time also because i and i'm sure we'll cover this later on but i worked for a wedding planner previously in when i started on in my career to build up a network And so oftentimes it is word of mouth because, again, people are trusting these vendors for the biggest day of their lives. So you want to make sure you're trusting the right person. Um, So if they like my work, most of the time they're like, hey, like I'm really in the market for a photographer. Do you know anyone? And usually that carries more weight than just them Googling someone or, you know, reading reviews. Yep. Yeah, totally. And now I want to know, like, what was your childhood like? Like, how did you grow up? Was this something that you've always been in, like, into, like, doing, like, designing or fashion? Or I always like asking people, like, where this stems from. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And it's actually kind of a funny story. So, I mean, in my childhood, um, my dad always had this friend that um, they went to college together. um, And he has been, he's, like, one of the largest um, sari manufacturers in um, where we're from in India. So 
he's always been in this business, but he's also always helped out with my clothing and like whenever I've needed stuff. But I always sort of like had a taste and I like would know what I wanted and just pick stuff out myself. Um, So that's always been there. But then on top of that, like I just love Indian fashion. It's so unique and people people tend to love it too that aren't Indian but I just like have always loved it um and there's never been like too many occasions here to wear it which is sad but yeah so there's been a love for that and then on top of that um like I think it's just that it helps me stay within my culture without like truly growing up in India which is a nice feeling to have um So yeah, so fashion and Indian fashion in particular has always been in sort of my wheelhouse. Um, Now growing up, yeah, I did design clothes for myself, but it wasn't ever like I knew what I was doing and I never wanted to go into fashion because again, being in a South Asian household, you kind of have those traditional career options given to you. Not necessarily, my parents weren't like this, but in my family, it was like doctor, lawyer, engineer, like that was sort of, and I'm sure you can sort of relate to this because immigrant mm-hmm. parents, it's sort of the same realm, yeah. right? So yeah. I never thought of fashion as like a career option. It was more so just like, oh, it's a hobby. Um, and then we got to high school and I was applying to colleges and I would always go up to like Parsons or Fitum or like those schools, I would get the brochure bring it home and they always had such an interesting like it was like a packet as opposed to like the traditional college brochure and it was so fun Mm -hmm. I'd go home with it I'd look at it it would sit on my table (laughs) and then we started doing you know the common app and all of that and I filled my 18 schools out however I, I did like 15 to 18 schools I don't know why but I filled those and then I had the Parsons that is insane that is I know literally like such a waste at this point but I had um those applications sitting there on that table and I just looked at it and I was like oh maybe I can start putting together a portfolio I did I just never sent it I threw it out because I was like I'm not good enough for this we'll just let this go so it never made it to any of those schools and now here we are yeah that's crazy though like do you regret not applying or is it something that you are happy because it if not you wouldn't be where you are today Um, so I think it's, it's kind of, I mean, like I think about it and I just kind of laugh. Um, I don't think I regret it because I don't think like, obviously I would have learned the techniques of like sewing, garment making, all of that stuff, but specifically Indian fashion, I would have still had to sort of go to India and learn it on my own, which is what Mm -hmm. I ended up doing. Um, so that's not a piece that I necessarily missed out on maybe the contacts and the networking and just like some of those technical skills. But, um, I think my fashion or my finance uh, major that I had with business helped out in the behind the scenes of the business portion more so because then had I done fashion, I would know nothing about that. Yeah, no, that's, that's really true and something to think about also. And when you said you put together a portfolio and like when you were younger, you designed stuff. I feel like that's not what mo- like most people aren't like young designers like designing their own clothes. Like what were you doing like when you were a kid and you're like, oh yeah, I mean, I designed my own clothes. I'm like, what was that like? Like, did you actually like make them come to life or did you have like a sketchbook with like your designs on them? Because 
I remember I had one and it was literally like a rectangle and I was like, that's a dress. So like, I want to know yours compared to mine. <laughs> um, so you remember when we used to have those book fairs, right? Like in school mm-hmm. and you'd go and you'd like pick out. Yeah. Right. Um, so in those, they would have those, um, those activity books. Right. And one of those was, um, like the fashion, like it was something fashion and like you had to cut it. It was like a kit where you had to like cut out outfits and stuff. I had one of those. So that was more so like the Western Western wear part of the um, like fashion designing. So I had one of those and I, I think my mom might still have it, which is really funny. Um, so that was one aspect of it. And then when I'd go to India, I just like sort of knew what I liked in terms of like, I would be mm-hmm. like, oh, this and this color look good together I want this and my mom would just be like are you sure and I'm like yeah that's what I want um so I was pretty sure about that sort of stuff that's so cool to like see how when you were little like what how it shapes you today I feel like it's like really cool seeing and also I think this is a tangent but it's so important to have those types of things at schools like when you were talking about the book fair and everything like I feel like they don't do those anymore. And like, you, no. I got so many books from them. I got so many ideas from them. I feel like there needs to be some form of like creativity outside of this typical like math, science, social studies, English that like schools have. And that was like one of them. So it makes me sad that those are gone now because like, I'm not, not going to say like, if you didn't have that book, then you wouldn't be where you are today. But you know, it helps like open up your mind and like helps you be more creative. So I think it's really important to like allow kids to do that and have those opportunities. And this is a total tangent, but I just think that that really reminded me of it because I, when you were little, that probably helped like stem your interest in fashion and like, oh, I, I like doing this. Like I like this kit. I like creating this clothing, you know? So I think that that's, that's something that I wish we had more of today in schools, especially like elementary schools specifically, but that's really yeah. cool. Cause I, I, I remember that book. I'm pretty sure I had that book too. But I probably didn't do anything with it. (laughs) Yeah. But I remember what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think also I was a sucker for those like infomercials too on like the kids channels where they would have those craft boxes. They're like, I think my mom had gotten me like a monthly subscription thing back when those were first like a thing. Um, But they were through the infomercials. And I was like, mom, I really want this. This is going to send me crafts every month. My mom had always put me in those kind of things. And I always loved it. Yeah, that's so important, though. That's really good because I know you said that you felt the pressure to go into one of those more like traditional fields. So did you think like when you were applying for college, is that one of the reasons why you didn't necessarily apply to Parsons or FITM is because you did think like, okay, I actually shouldn't like I'm not going to go because I'm not going to get in or I'm not going to go because it wouldn't really be socially accepted. Um, it's so one, one of the things is that, and my parents, again, I don't want to put this on them necessarily because this isn't true, but my parents were always supportive of whatever we wanted to do. But I think it was more so, um, so my dad's the oldest and I'm the first grandchild. So it was like one of those like heavy pressure situations where in my head I was like, I really have to do something. So like my younger siblings and everyone sort of follows through And like my grandparents have this like ambition and my mom had wanted to be a doctor, but because of some personal like conflict, she couldn't um, and she didn't end up becoming one. So in my head, I was like, oh, like my mom wanted to be one. I I think I should go into it just to like, you know, foster her dream a little bit. And so that was part of it. Um, 
and it was all pressure that I put on myself um Mm -hmm. and then throughout high school like I took every single science AP there was and I was like in my head I was like oh because I did this I'm good at science which wasn't the case because I really wasn't like the star student in those at all but that was what I did and then simultaneously I researched at NIH I did cancer research I got a scholarship for it like so it was all of those things that I was like oh I think you're good at science you should become a doctor when it in college is when I realized like I really hate this like I don't want to do this for my life and when did you make the switch then from like what was your major originally and then when did you make the switch to finance Yeah, so I was a biochem major on the pre-med track when I entered college. I entered college as a sophomore, technically, because of the AP credits. So, I mean, my freshman year, I was already taking upper levels in science, and I got to organic chemistry, which is not the best class for (laughs) anybody. Nobody ever says positive things about it, honestly. And my professor was great, but I just, I didn't get it. Like, it was just one of those things that just didn't make sense to me. Um... And I tried it. I spent hours in the library. Like, I just, it just didn't come naturally. And I was like, well, this is like one of the first upper levels. If I'm struggling this hard in this class, I can't even imagine what the rest of my, however many years it takes me to become a doctor are going to look like. And I don't think I want to do this. So Mm -hmm. that it was sophomore year, winter semester. Yeah. Well, thank God that you decided to do something else. And then, so you went to finance or you went and majored in finance, graduated, and then you got a job at an investment bank, right? After college. It was like a small, so I took actually a one year break in between. And in 2018, I graduated in 2017. And in 2018, it was a small M&A, like banking sort of startup. Yeah. Got it. So yeah. At that job, like, were you happy? Were you, like, how, why did you leave that job? Or, like, what was that decision like from, like, graduating college, taking your year off, getting this job, and then I know you started in these collections shortly after. So, kind of, what were those years of your life like? Yeah, so, actually, so, I'm going to go back to sort of 2016 is when, obviously, everyone in my year was making, like, decisions to jobs and stuff and and you know this from being in consulting like all of your job stuff gets done in the fall and then the second semester senior year you're kind of just like done and waiting to graduate so i was applying to all these banks and stuff and the larger banks i wanted to move to new york at the time um and nothing just hit and so i was just like okay now what am i going to do after graduation like i don't really have anything lined up and that was in 2016 December is when we went to India and met with my dad's friend. So 2017 is when I actually started Anise Collections while I was in college. So that was already there. Yeah. Um, I started that um, literally shortly after coming back from India. It was all like a four week process. We had filed the name, we had done all the paperwork, all of that. And then by March we had started. So that happened and then I graduated and it was a little bit of this like imposter syndrome kind of like feeling because I graduated with a startup versus my friends graduated with a full-time job offer. So Mm -hmm. they were all moving out. They were all like partying it up, like, you know, doing all of those things. And I have this startup where I'm not making an income. So I kind of like shut myself off and just was like, 
it was like two two things like in my head it was like i have to make money for my startup and then the other part was like i'm not making enough money to be able to like hang out and do all these like 20 year old things um so that was like my year off and then i started working with the planner that year too so that pivoted me into 2018 where i was still applying to jobs i like in my head it wasn't quite the situation of like this is going to be my full-time income it just didn't click at that point so i was still applying to jobs throughout it and finally that job ended up clicking and i took it because again in my head it was like the finance job is going to be your full-time income and this Mm -hmm. is just a passion project that's it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i can totally relate with like everything you're saying because that's kind of how i was with youtube um i mean i graduated college and I guess it's a little different because it wasn't like I had started it when I graduated, but I had graduated and I was like, okay, like YouTube will be my side hustle for forever. You know, it's going to be my hobby forever because that's all it ever was. And so once I got my job, because that's what you were expected to do, you know, you have so much pressure, I feel like from just like your friends and from everyone in your classes of like, oh my gosh, did you get that interview? Did you get whatever? Because I don't know how your school was, but at my school, it was like companies came to campus and like you had interviews and you got, you know, like you talked to them on campus and that's how I got my job. So like everyone that got a Deloitte interview knew on the same exact day. So you would know yeah. who didn't get the interview and who did. Everyone who got an Accenture interview got it the same day. So you would know who did and who didn't. I remember I didn't get one for Deloitte. Like I didn't make it past like the first round for Deloitte and I was so upset because like all my friends got it or not all of them but it was like me and one girl that didn't and everyone else had gotten it and I was like what the heck like I'm so embarrassed like I I, I don't I don't want to tell people that I like didn't get it you know because everyone was applying for the same things and then at Accenture I remember getting it and like some people I knew like didn't get it and and I was like oh my god I feel bad that this looks so awkward like I don't want to you know like I just feel like you have so much pressure in college especially your senior year and then you feel like you have to do this like full-time job this corporate job and like get this job and I I remember feeling that way and then when I quit I remember thinking like what am I doing like I know I like can handle it but like what the heck like this is not a normal five-year plan you know like this isn't this wasn't in my plan to quit even though I was like so happy for it so I I can relate with that like feeling of being like okay I need to get a job because like that's that's how you're gonna make your money that's how you're gonna make your income so when did you decided to quit did you already have like clients were you feeling overwhelmed like what was your decision making and like quitting your job and like taking a niece collections full-time yeah so i i guess we've talked about this before but i think for everyone else that doesn't know we actually quit the same week like you and i quit our jobs pretty much the same week that yeah. like in 2019 <laughs> i believe so um our timing was very similar but I so I tried to like my job and I tried so hard <laughs> it was one of those things <laughs> so like from May when I started May 2018 to maybe like September October I was like all in I was like I need to try to make this work and like just all of those things that you do when you start a job and it sort of just like it wasn't that the job was terrible or like just all of all of that negativity it wasn't that it was just that yes I was overwhelmed I literally so my commute to this job um, was about an hour and a half each way driving I still had the company so my routine was that I would wake up at 4 a.m I would go to the gym then from the gym I would go to work 
I would come home and I'd have clients waiting from like 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Then you have all of the back end business stuff. Like at that point, I hadn't even like I started my Instagram account maybe in 2019 because I just didn't have time to like dedicate to a social media strategy for my business because I was doing all the back end and like all of the designing was on me, all of the like client communication was on me and I would schedule out all the emails and things like that and then um, go to bed by like midnight and do it all over again. And then weekends weren't off for me either because during wedding season, which here it's all year round, um, you do these like exhibitions for your outfits and like for selling clothes. And so there's a bunch of Indian exhibitions that happen all over even the tri-state area. We would go to New York, New Jersey, um, just to get our names out there. And um, those would be on weekends. So my weekends would be entirely taken up. So that leaves no time for friends, no real family time either. I would just be there for dinner maybe. And I was just doing this like hustle culture, as you call it, um, which wasn't fun. Um, and yeah, I was getting clients. And I guess by like January or so, I was so burnt out that I just, I had to think about it. And then even also at my company in January, we had a major like restructuring of sorts and my company was very small and the restructure sort of didn't fit what my job requirements were. My job requirements drastically changed and I just, I was like, okay, I think I need to think about what's next and what's next was Mm -hmm. that I was going to quit. So um, yeah, I, I pondered quitting, I want to say from February till I put in my two weeks in March or in May. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's like, it's one of those things where it's such a hard decision, but I feel like when it's a right decision, which I'm not saying, I'm not encouraging everyone to quit their jobs. That's not what we're doing. Yeah. But when it is the right decision, which in your case it was, it's like a weight that gets lifted off of your shoulders. Like, I feel like it's like so freeing and I'm wondering now, like you said that you had clients waiting for you and you didn't even have like a social strategy, for example, like how did, when you started in these collections in college, when did you get your first client? Like, how did you get clients? Like, that's what I always want to know with people. I'm like, who was your first customer and how did you like continuously gain customers and clients? Cause I think that to me is like, I'm very curious about. Yeah. Um, my first customer is probably a, like a pretty interesting one. I will say, um, So I, yeah, so I started through word of mouth in general because everybody that did my first photo shoot too, they were all friends of mine. My graphic designer was a friend. So I know people say don't work with your friends, but like when you're starting a business and you have very limited resources, like obviously I did pay these people, but like I trusted my friends more with like what was my baby essentially than like Mm -hmm. reaching out to a stranger, which proved to be good because not only did my friends help me, but then they were able to spread the word and like launch their own small business of sorts. Like my friend was an emerging graphic designer, et cetera. So that helped working with people I knew. And then my first client um, or my first like big client was um, a family friend of mine that was getting married in 2018. So she needed an outfit and she trusted me to make hers. And I still like, I mean, now she has a baby and like, I, I see her pretty often. I'm pretty close to her. So that's really special that it was like someone that I was close to. Um, yeah. yeah. And then clients came through word of mouth initially, because when I started working with a wedding planner and doing his expos and things like that, it was predominantly word of mouth. Again, I didn't have an Instagram until 2019. 
So my Instagram came like probably two, two and a half years after I started my company, which is unheard of now. Yeah, no, it is. Um, And how is like, uh, now I want to get technical with like when you started, how did you find the manufacturers, the designers? Like, how did you decide like, I'm going to start this? Was your first client like your trial run or had you already like created some pieces? Like kind of take me back to day one to like when you have something in your hand to like when you make that first sale. Yeah. um, So we started with a different model than what I am now. Um, My model was always to do custom made to order, partly because brides are picky and nobody really wants something off the rack anymore. Like Mm -hmm. everybody, you probably do this too. When you see stuff on a website or like you at a clothing store too in general. So like when you see something in your hand, you're like, oh, I really like this, but I would change this, this, and this about it. So yeah, I always went down that road and I was like, with a bride especially, like it doesn't make sense for me to have stuff on racks. I just want to be able to make it for them. But I think it was a learning curve for my parents. My parents were used to the more traditional retail model. So when we started and we started with my dad's friend, he was a wholesaler and his was the retail model. So in February and March of 2017, Basically, he sent us a bunch of just wholesale stuff that I loved some pieces, but I didn't love other pieces. And it was just like, it was like picking like how you picked from catalogs for your for your store. That's essentially how I started. Um, And I also solely started with women's wear. Then fast forward to August of 2017, we started getting menswear inquiries. So at that point is when I did a partnership with my first vendor, which I found through Facebook um, and through Instagram. Yeah. Um, And yeah, that was a gamble because I'm sitting here in the US talking to Indian vendors who like, it could be a hit or miss. It could be a huge scam. You don't know. Um, But luckily, like we set up a Zoom call and stuff and we still work with these people. So these people were amazing. And So we had that partnership and the menswear started coming in and then I started getting brides and I was just like, I had to sit down with my parents and be like, this model needs to change because this isn't what I wanted. Um, So by the end of 2017 is when I had pivoted. And in 2018, I actually did a rebrand of my site from what it initially started out with. I've gone through two rebrands in the last four years which is also crazy, but it, it takes yeah. a little bit. Um, that's what I'm trying to say is that you, you really like take a while to hone in on your vision, especially when it's so like niche that it just, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Wholesale is when that period, like in 2017 is when that sort of stopped. And then in 2018, I got my, my uh, family friend as like the client and we started on her dress and that was solely custom. So with her, I had to search for custom vendors because my dad's friend was like, that's not what I do. So what's funny about this situation is that the vendor we originally started out with is not really a vendor anymore and wasn't really our top vendor after a little bit because the model just completely pivoted. Um, Yeah, and so even with the custom design people, I looked them up on this, there's this website that's like a, Indian fashion directory of sorts with like emerging designers. So I looked on that website, I would look at their Facebook page or look at their Instagram. And if they had a following less than like a certain number, like probably less than 10K, you would know that like 
they were like so like between the five to 10k range you would know that they're legit um and that they weren't big enough that they were retailing to these like large stores which meant their margins wouldn't be like insane um and it was a lot of talking to people luckily we weren't scammed pretty badly i know people have been where their money gets taken and like they don't get Mm -hmm. what they asked for um we weren't and we were lucky because I didn't put deposits in for some people that ended up not being the right fit. Um, and yeah, now I've, I've had the team I have right now for probably three, three years since I started the custom process. That's crazy. I mean, I think it's so encouraging to hear though, that like what you started with isn't necessarily where you are now because so many people, myself included, think whatever you start, you have to stick to. And if you change, it's like, oh no, like that's, it's not good to change. Like you have to like be so, like start with something and kind of like stick to it. So I think that's really encouraging that you started with something and realized that wasn't for you and you can change your model. And like now you're doing something that you love and that is more efficient. And, you know, so I think that that's really cool. I didn't know that you actually started with like wholesale stuff. Like I, I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought you always kind of started with like the custom bridal line, but so that's really interesting. Um, and so from, from your first, let's say I'm a customer and how long does it take like to design a dress for me? Like, what is your process like? Like how, I, I have no idea, you know, like I know yeah. one, I'm not very into weddings in general, like American Indian, like I just, I'm not, I've never been one that was like watching wedding shows or dreaming of my wedding or anything like that. So like, I don't even know yeah. anything about American weddings that much. <laughs> so I'm like, how long does this take to get from the design to like in the bride's hands? How, how long do you like work? Yeah. So the process is the same for everyone, but the timelines totally depends on I guess how picky you are. I don't want to use the term bridezilla because I have been pretty fortunate not to have any like of that stereotypical like bridezilla term at all. And it's mm-hmm. funny because everyone comes and they're like, I'm a bridezilla. And I'm like, you're you're really not. You're not asking <laughs> for a lot. Um, so traditionally, we, we start with the first like consultation. And that's just when either the bride or sometimes it's bride and groom, parents, whomever, explain to me exactly what they're looking for. And we start with a Pinterest like vision board of sorts. So with me, that's pretty important, the inspiration. And then when we're talking through the call, then we decide on the specifics. Like, um, I want this much embroidery. I want this silhouette. I want my arms not to show, just like basic stuff like that. And then once we talk through it all, I typically come back to them with a price range. So that in itself, that design process phase can take two to three months because people have gone yeah back and forth especially with covid people's dates have changed so their like entire wedding theme has has switched Uh, the bride's outfit ultimately is the most important because it determines everybody else's but it does take time for all of that plus then you have the timing for the measurements so we take measurements here we have a tailoring team in india that makes them but then i also have an in-house tailor here but yeah, once measurements and deposit is in, it takes anywhere from eight to 10 weeks to maybe like 12 weeks. Um, again, with COVID, it has been more 12 to 15 weeks, but we try to stay on the timeline. We promise just because people are too, like, you know, you're antsy, you're excited, you want to see your dress. It's such a crazy process, I feel like, of how like intricate it is. Like you really yeah. spend so much time with this family, with this 
uh, bride, you know, like I feel like it's like super, super intricate, like how much time you're spending and how custom you're making it. Like, I think it's really cool. And I feel like you really get to know them. Well, you like really see their vision. So I think that's just so cool. And like, I mean, starting it from the ground up, I think is so like inspiring. Like it really is crazy how you've built this like company and from literally being like unhappy at your job, wanting to do this lifelong thing that you've always had an interest in and like being here today. Like, I think it's just really cool. And like, I always say to you that you are amazing at networking and I feel like it's really important in this job of yours and like being an entrepreneur, but also especially like in the industry that you're in, like the bridal industry. So do you have any, and this is a broad question, but do you have any networking tips? Because you are good at it. Like we, let me just do a backstory. So Hani and I met because Hani works for me at We Bloom Social. She works for me yeah. part-time at, at We Bloom and is amazing. And the way that we met originally, besides her applying for the position, was through DMs. She's always DM'd me. And I don't even know what the first DM I responded to was, but I just always remembered you because we would always DM each other. Like, it was like texting a friend. Like, The Bachelor was on and we were like, oh my God, did you see that? Yeah. Like, it was like, you know, like it was, we were just like talking all the time and like I don't even remember how it started so I have just always like seen your name I've always seen your face I knew who you were already and like you do it so effortlessly like you just become friends with people so like how what are your networking tips just in general of like how do you get out put yourself out there because I'm a huge introvert which is might be surprising because I like put my life on the internet but like I don't like meeting new people I'm like super scared to talk to people like I don't like that initial like hey i'm natalie how are you here's what i do so like just drop some networking tips for us <laughs> okay um so i will say uh, my mom says this to me where like i can go into a room where i don't know anyone and i will come out with like at least five friends which is really <laughs> like i i don't know how it happens honestly but my mom's always said that and she's been like i was never afraid to like put you in a place where you don't know anyone Um, So I think that's been like, and it comes from her personality. So it is like, not genetic, but it does come like I've seen my mom always do that. So I guess I got accustomed to it. But I so like, I used to be afraid of like, just talking to people or just like, even asking for something I needed. And not only in my business, but in the job I work in, like, I work in social media with you. And like, it is incredibly necessary to just shoot your shot honestly Mm -hmm. um and we know this because of the amounts of people we email dm that we like don't even know um and i mean the easiest thing to do is that like when you're looking for someone specific i mean i don't want to call it like glamorized (laughs) like just like sort of like do your research um Mm -hmm. you have to find i mean just find common ground i i guess like with me and natalie it was just such a like natural friendship that we honestly I don't even remember how I started talking to you and how we became friends um and so it it just was about finding something like common ground um it works differently I guess people to or person to person depending on the industry like for example right now with when we approach influencers it's a little bit different than how you would approach like someone professionally in like like a corporate setting um right but even in the actually even in the finance field even in investment banking like you you are encouraged to cold email um 
which is something that I never like understood until I actually started working in social media. But um, tons of people have gotten their job at, jobs at these really large banks by just cold emailing. Um, I've done a ton of informational interviews just by cold emailing or cold like LinkedIn messaging people. Um, just use your network. And I think that's like when people say that you kind of don't register it because you often look at who's not in your network as opposed to who is in your network. Um, and when you look into your network, you're able to find a lot of people that like have links to someone else. You're just like not looking there. So look where you're not looking and that sometimes helps, I guess. Yeah, no, are you kidding? That was so helpful. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things that to you, it comes so naturally, but to so many people, I know that they're going to find value in that because like, Someone like me, like, I have to hear that to, like, remember. You know, like, even you telling me this right now, I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, I'm now going to reach out to this, 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 this. Like, it's, like, yeah. puts pressure on me and it inspires me to, you know, not be afraid to just reach out to people and talk to people. And so I think it's going to help so many people. And, like, you're good at maintaining those connections too. So I think it's just as important of, like, maintaining relationships. Like, if you had just talked to me once, like, yeah, you could say you networked with me. But, like, we constantly kept talking and kept that communication and, like, that line of communication. So, like, when it came down to me, like, trying to find someone for WeBloom, you automatically, like, yes, I interviewed other people. But, like, you, I already knew you beforehand. Like, before yeah. the interview, you had the edge because I had known already who you were. So, I feel like that's just something to keep in mind. Like, never be afraid to, like, reach out to someone that you've never talked to or that you don't know. Like, it's it's very important that you do also. So I love that. I think that that's super, like, that's really cool. Um, and you're really, really good at networking. And so now, like, what's next for Anise Collections? And, like, what are, well, I have two questions, so you can answer that first. But okay. I want to know, like, what's next for Anise Collections? And then also, like, if someone were to be right now, they want to start something, like, the kind of similar, you know, they want to start a fashion business. They want to start something like a business, want to be an entrepreneur, but they're kind of like stuck in where they are. What are, what's your advice for, for them? Okay. So I'll answer the first one in terms of unused collections. Um, I, so obviously asking that question after the year 2020 is a little, um, yeah. tough just because so we were shut down for six months last year, but Luckily enough, like with the precautions and vaccines and all of that coming out, um, things are starting to pick up. So in terms of what's next, it's just like getting to the clients that I missed out on last year, helping people get back on track with their weddings. Um, in terms of things that are in the pipeline, um, we are like next month is National Weddings Month. So I've always wanted to do this where like I sort of have a resource for all my brides. And like we were talking about earlier, like word of mouth recommendation goes so far. So I'm sort of doing this like database sort of thing on my website where I like interview some of my favorite vendors that I've met throughout this process and just like have their information on my website so that like people can reach out to them. Cause we took a, I mean, we took a huge hit from last year, but I know so many businesses have. So it like again, that nature of like collaboration as opposed to competition, it helps all of us at the end of the day. So I'm in the process of getting that up. So hopefully next month we'll launch like with planners, which is like the beginning of start starting to plan a wedding and then hopefully decor and like more people. Yeah, that's something I'm working on. Um, and I just hired a team t 
too. So as you know, so I am like working on getting them all together and sort of getting my footing on that. Um, we have a few things that'll be coming, but they're still in the works. So nothing to say about those um, yet, but hopefully you will see a lot from us in 2021. Um, as for people looking to start their own thing or feeling stuck, um, this is something that like people have always said and it didn't click with me until I think last year when I was truly stuck and didn't know what to do. Um, go with your gut. Uh, I know it sounds cliche, but honestly, you like as a business owner and like just as someone that knows what's best for your business, you most likely do know when it comes to decision making um, because there's like, you know, money, pressure, like all of this stuff involved. You oftentimes disregard gut feeling. But as far as like with me, with my business or even with my professional career, like decision making wise, like my gut's always been right. And I, I sometimes struggle to listen to it even still, but like, I have like a voice inside my head now telling me like, no, you know what you're doing, just go with it. Um, that's not to say not like, don't disregard red flags either if your gut feelings telling you one thing and there's red flags. Like, for example, quitting your job, like as Natalie says, without like financially assessing your situation, like don't do things like that because that will end up hurting you. But when you have a decision and you've thought through it and you've thought about all the options, weighed out the pros and cons and your gut feelings telling you to go for it and that's the push you need to do it, take that feeling and go because it, it, it'll be the right one. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be the right one. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, that to me is so true. Like I cannot tell you how many times I have thankfully gone with my gut feeling and been like, oh my God, thank God. Like it was so scary in the process, but like, I just, I think you know, like deep down, you know what you need to do. It's yeah. everything else that clouds you. It's your brain that is thinking, well, what if this, 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 and this happens? And it's people, people's opinions that are telling you, and it's pressure that you have on yourself, you know? So I think it's like all of those things cloud your gut feeling and overtake your gut feeling sometimes, but you deep down know what you need to do. And so I think that that is so true because I can also say that going with your gut feeling has going with my gut feeling has very, very rarely steered me yeah. wrong. Like I feel like it hasn't steered me wrong yet, honestly. Like it really hasn't. No. So I think that like I love that advice and like that's like really, really great advice that I, I wish that I honestly heard earlier. So I have one more too. Oh, bring it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have one more about the other people component because this is something I struggled with for so long. And I read this quote and it really helped and I'm sure you're gonna agree with it. It's that like, it's something along the lines of like other people aren't gonna see the value in what you're doing until strangers, like your your close, close knit group isn't gonna see the value in what you're doing until strangers start appreciating you. And it is so true because when you start your business, like even when I did in my head, I was thinking, oh my God, my friends are gonna be my first customers. Everyone's gonna wanna buy from me and support me. It was not true. Um, people would encourage me, but nobody like actually physically poured money into my business until strangers started appreciating it. So it really discouraged me in the beginning. People would say so many things like to me in person and then say other things behind my back about my business and like just stuff like that. Don't let that get you down because 
truly like when you start getting appreciation from other people, I promise those people are going to come right back, whether you want them to or not. So, oh yeah. Another, people are yeah. like that. Like why? I don't, I don't get it, but it's, yeah. it's sad, but it is also a reality that we don't want you to get discouraged if that unfortunately does happen. Cause I think that's so true. People always, and I always say this with, I mean, for me, it's like whenever someone starts a business, whenever someone starts like a YouTube channel or a podcast, I always hear people saying like, oh my God, did you see they started that? Like, yeah. wow. Like, oh, they got like two views on their video. That's pathetic. And I'm like, literally everyone starts at zero. Like, I don't want you, like what? Like, I just, in my head, every time someone, I would hear something like that, I'm like, oh, did you see they're trying to be like an influencer or something? And I'm like, first of all, yeah. do you know who you're talking to? Second of all, I just like, it's, Everyone starts at zero, like every single person. There are very, 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 very few people who can say that they actually went viral and like blew up. And even people that go viral have been slow for like two, three years doing it. And then all of a sudden they go viral. Like that just like makes me so upset whenever I hear people like kind of talking down to people that are starting something. And even if it's starting, even if it's been three years into it and they're, they still not, might not be where they need, like where they want to be, but like. I just, I always want to remind people, like, everyone starts at the bottom. Everyone starts at the beginning. Everyone starts at the same place, like, at zero. And, yes, some people have advantages over others, but, like, it's, everyone has to start. And so you have to just do it and, like, push through those those lulls, push through the gossip and the the back, like, the haters and all of that. So I, that's another, like, gold nugget of advice because yeah. <laughs> that will happen, unfortunately. Yeah, it so will. those are my two. <laughs> Well, I love those. Um, so where can they find you? Where can they find Anise Collections? And then, uh, yeah, where can they shop your stuff or maybe be a potential customer of yours? Yeah, um, so you can find us mainly, I think Instagram's like the hub for everybody now. So on Instagram at anis.collections with an S1. Um, and you can find like links to our website from there and our email and everything. And you can even shop product directly from there now. So yeah um and hopefully one of you will be one of my customers very soon that would be awesome oh my gosh if that happens you have to tell me (laughs) well thank you so much honey for coming on (laughs) i hope that you guys enjoyed the episode with honey i really feel like it was inspiring for anyone like i said that just wants to be somewhere else or isn't happy we're in their current situation there is hope and especially with some determination some hard work you can definitely end up doing what you want to do so i hope that you guys enjoyed this episode if you did be sure to follow us on instagram rate us five stars on apple podcasts and tune in for next week My name is Lovon Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. 
At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.